Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first podcast from the ATS PEDS Assembly. My name is Dr. Brandon C. I am a second-year pediatric pulmonology fellow at the University of Florida in Gainesville, Florida, and our hope here is to be able to produce this first and hopefully many more podcasts of interest to pediatricians and pulmonologists for adults and PEDS. And to start that off, we figured we would start right out at the top. So today we'll be interviewing Dr. David. David Gazelle, who is the new ATS president for the 2016-2017 year, and he just so happens to also be a pediatric sleeve specialist. (laughs) Dr. Gazelle is also the Herbert T. Abelson Professor in Pediatrics at the University of Chicago, and it is a pleasure to have him here with us today. So it's an honor to have you here today with us, uh, Dr. Gazelle. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to come in and uh, talk to us today. Oh, my pleasure. I'm always delighted to engage with uh, people from uh, members from the assemblies, and uh, this is usually uh, great fun. But particularly when it deals with pediatric assembly, uh, a little I have a little nick of a favor to favoritism towards uh, the pediatric assembly for some unknown reason. Oh, and we're honored, to, and we're honored to have you. Uh, representing us at the ATS as well, sir. <laughs> um, so the first question we had for you is really just in the beginning, what got you interested in uh, sleep medicine in the beginning? Well, in the beginning there was light and then there was sleep medicine. So um, uh, I guess that the first uh, time that I really became aware that uh, discipline called sleep uh, needed to exist or existed uh, was when I was a resident uh, around, uh, many years ago, um, and um, I was actually on call, and uh, a mom arrived uh, with a baby who was a three-month-old male, arrived uh, to the emergency room, and the baby had uh, died of sudden infant death syndrome. At that time, I was completely oblivious to the discipline of sleep, but uh, um, it was as, as I learned a little bit more about uh, sudden infant death syndrome, I became aware that uh, one, it was a disease that occurred during sleep, and uh, that encounter, that uh, unknown, actually triggered in me a very, very intense uh, desire to learn much more about sleep and control of breathing, and that was the launching pretty much of my career. Uh, with that, uh, the second one was a paper in the Blue Journal, uh, actually an editorial in the Blue Journal, and it coincided somehow with uh, the same event that I just reported. Uh, there was an editorial by uh, Dr. Philipson uh, from Toronto um, that was entitled Arousal, the Forgotten Response. Uh, this was back when the Blue Journal was called the American Review of Respiratory Diseases, And uh, it really coincided with the event uh, that I just described on the mom. And so together, this was a very strong uh, incentive for me to learn much more about something that I had absolutely no clue about. And that's good to hear because I think your experience you were talking about with the patient with sudden infant death syndrome is probably something a lot of us uh, who've been through pediatric training have been through. I know I did uh, myself as well. Um, next question, we really was wanting to talk to you if we keep on the topic of sleep medicine, is just uh, talking to you about what would be kind of the more important questions you think there are in sleep medicine today? 
Well, uh, the most important ones uh, are obviously ones that would have immediate applicability to, you know, improving both the short-term and long-term outcomes of uh, pediatric sleep disorders. Um, I am a firm. Uh, I'm firmly convinced from a lot of the research that we've done, have done, and that of many others that the window of pediatrics, the pediatric age range, is a unique window into not only uh, many of the diseases of sleep uh, that uh, we are familiar with, uh, particularly in the field of pulmonary, obviously, sleep disorder breathing, but also that uh, whatever happens in pediatrics could have very long-term consequences into adulthood and even into aging. And so, we need to understand much more the mechanisms that elicit morbidities in in during childhood of those sleep disorders such as, such as sleep apnea, but also be able to understand what are the unique susceptibilities that trigger then a perpetuation of of disease lasting into adulthood and beyond and so to me that's a unique challenge for us in the pediatric uh, uh, disciplines and one that uh, I think we're going to have to invest much more in developing the right uh, the right and the number of individuals and professionals that can tackle these very important questions. And tackling those questions early on, I'm sure, will be of benefit to our uh, adult colleagues as well as they're dealing with the kind of the progress of the, what happens in the pediatric subset and uh, their practices as well. So I think that applies pretty much to everybody in uh, pulmonary and sleep medicine. Well, uh, as a, so, just as a commentary, if I may, um, um, I think that it behooves on the pediatrician to be responsible not only to have a healthy child, but also to make sure that that healthy child becomes a healthy adult. And that is I believe uh, part of the mandate that uh, of the American Thoracic Society as well that is clearly understood that it's only through interactions of many many disciplines together that we can achieve the desired goals that uh, have been set for the respiratory community. I think that point probably would be a, a T-shirt for the American Academy of Pediatrics on the making children not only healthy children but bringing them into healthy adults. <laughs> um, also, I guess we're talking about how what you think is important here today in sleep medicine and pulmonary medicine. What do you say about maybe 10 years from now? Where do you see kind of being the top things to talk about in sleep medicine or uh, in pulmonary medicine 10 years from now? Uh, I think we're going to learn a lot in the next 10 years about personalized sleep medicine. And we're already starting that process. Uh, it is slow. It is not uh, advancing as quickly as we all would like to see precision medicine um, uh, make progress. And the issue of a individual and an equal one type of trial, which is really what we, we should uh, aspire to, not only in the trial, but also in our practice, um, is a very desirable goal and one that we need to work very hard towards, too. In that context, I think that there's going to be a lot of uh, elements that are going to come together. One, there's no doubt that the field of genomics, epigenomics, and so on are going to clearly um, influence the way we think about uh, sleep medicine as a whole. 
second, um, I think that the we are only now starting to understand that the microbiome, and uh, there's multiple microbiomes, but that the individual microbiome, the personal microbiome, is a major determinant of of disease phenotype. And uh, in the context of sleep disorders, um, we have already initial insights that the microbiome is altered by sleep disorders, and so it will behoove on us to explore this facet much more and see to what extent potentially reversing um, the, bio, the microbiome to its original state uh, may have actually a beneficial effect on uh, the phenotype, uh, the adverse phenotype or the morbidity phenotypes that are associated with sleep diseases. And the third element that I think will be also critical is to develop biomarkers, um, uh, both diagnostic and morbidity-related biomarkers that uh, will enable us to facilitate the diagnostic process and be able to do this very cheaply, effectively, and therefore prevent morbidities in the future, but also uh, identify patients very early on as part of uh, uh, a better management uh, in the context of health systems. So those are three major challenges for the next decade, but things that are accomplishable today and by virtue of the technologies, uh, all the omics that have been developed, and it behooves, as I said, to, on us to make sure that we make a rational and cogent use of those technologies to address the questions that uh, I believe are very important for the future. Could you expand a little bit on, uh, you mentioned in your first point about personalized sleep medicine. Uh, expand a little more on that and tell us um, kind of what your thoughts are on that. Well, uh, it is clear that at any level of, uh, for example, sleep apnea severity, there are substantial differences in its manifestations, uh, both clinic, the clinical syndrome that uh, may be all the way from zero to 100, right, in a scale of all the things that we know today. So why is that? Why is it that uh, the, the clinical manifestations are so different, even though the actual sleep study shows very similar results? Let's say that we see sleep apnea with a certain degree of severity. So the tools that we have today do not enable discrimination between the phenomenology of the disease that it emerges in the context of symptoms and signs, and also in the context of morbidity. Why do certain people develop morbidity and others not? How can we identify individuals that if treated in a way A uh, will actually be cured versus how do we identify the patients that will not respond to that therapy and need to actually be automatically switched to, switched to a type B of, of therapeutic intervention? So those are all very important questions because at the moment we are treating um, everybody as if they were equal. And they're not. The, the, I think that we have learned enough today that we know that each individual presents a unique signature. And then identifying that signature both in the detection of the disease, in the decision-making of whether to treat or not to treat, and then ultimately in the, in the therapeutic intervention are critical elements of a personalized uh, uh, approach that uh, at the moment is failing or not existent in uh, in our practice, and we need we clearly need 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 to move in that direction. And then you also mentioned some of these 
uh, you know, an N of one studies um, previously in your comments. To, could you kind of tell us how you would kind of go about that for those out there who want to kind of expound on these kind of studies to bring out more information, how they would go about that? Well, the N of one studies have been advocated as uh, ways of testing specific hypotheses on, on a trial. Uh, will a drug like this uh, help an N of one? And if it does, then can we extrapolate from that and learn much more about it. What I was trying to say is that um, we need to treat uh, most of the information that exists today from a scientific standpoint as if it were an N of one. Because I believe that in as much as there may be commonalities and substantial similarities across many individuals with a particular disease entity, there are unique differences that make that that individual, a unique individual, and that therefore whatever applies to the others may not apply to him or her, in which case an N of one is the right approach. And if we can na- nail exactly what to do with that individual, then we have we all we need is an N of one. All right. Thank you for that, sir. Um, kind of moving on from you know, sleep medicine and everything in general, uh, specifically, you know, now that we have you as our leader at the ATS for the next year or so. Just wanted to kind of talk with you about what are your important goals? Like what is your, if you had one goal as ATS president, what are you hoping to accomplish? Well, that's a, it's a tough question and a great question. So it's a tough question because um, I would shy away from a single goal. And second, um, you're always building on on top of what many previous leaders and many additional members of the society have contributed to. So uh, it's a great honor to serve uh, in the capacity as a president for this year. And uh, there are some priorities. Uh, the, ne- the, the priority, One of the priorities that has occupied us for a long time, and me in particularly, and that's why I decided to uh, compete and and uh, you know uh, solicit the opportunity to serve as as a president uh, is the next generation, and I think that a lot of work has been done by the previous presidents and uh, many others in in the ATS to invest into this, and it is obvious uh, we see it in the conference, in the variety of uh, boot camps and student boot camps and fellowship symposia. And uh, early career investigators, we see it in the foundation through um, the investment into grants that will support the uh, early careers and and researchers. Um, it is also obvious in uh, more recently with the uh, global scholar program, so that we can uh, entice uh, many more around the world that may not have as much exposure to uh, to unique uh, access to information or to be taught and and develop skills. So I think that we are doing uh, quite a bit, uh, but it's never enough. And so with that in mind, I think that what we need is to understand also much better how we can take many of the great things that are already done in our society and implement them better. And uh, Dr. Monica Kraft, several years ago, uh, initiated a presidential vision of uh, implementation. Uh, But the problem with... Uh, programs that start for a year is that not always do they get uh, enough traction to be sustained. And so we are 
revisiting this issue, this time in the context of the guidelines and many of the documents uh, that we produce, and we would like to see a much more pragmatic implementation of those documents, uh, one at a time, into the clinical practice. So that's one of the things that we're going to be investing, not only, hopefully, not only this year, but over the several years as uh, the presidents come and go, but the missions uh, continue and are sustained as part of the new vision for the ATS, that a presidential mandate is to be sustained in its efforts, not just as a single-year uh, pet PV project. Uh, the second element that we would like to see uh, and really has to do with um, uh, uh, long-term uh, vision has to do with um, uh, the development of educational tools and better interactive tools within our conference. Our conference is a jewel that uh, is uh, unparalleled and obviously attracts a lot of people, not only members, but uh, also non-members. And this is a unique venue to enhance uh, interactions, learning, uh, research, and everything else that we strive for in ATS. And so, with the novel technologies in um, uh, social media and many other technologies that have to do with engaging uh, people and public um, and learning, um, we're going to be becoming much more assertive at uh, bringing on uh, these technologies to the forum of the American uh, Thoracic Society International Conference. And hopefully this will uh, resonate well with with our members, with the attendees, and enable a lot more interactions and learning in a much more uh, personalized way, if you wish, uh, to uh, to improve uh, the quality of the meeting, but also to improve learning all across the, the, the multiple platforms that can be used within the conference and also within the websites and, and the society at the large. So those are two major missions that if you really think about um, are very similar in their context. How do we attract people, retain people, develop people, mentor people, and create the excitement and vibrancy of the field that will really project to the future and lead to the, the, you know, the new innovations, the new therapeutics, the new, excite, you know, the new exciting ideas that uh, the field needs. And uh, there's plenty of great people in, in our society. There's plenty of great people that need to be attracted to the field. And if we create a very fertile environment, I think that that is going to facilitate uh, the future to become as promising as I think it is. So that's kind of the vision for the ATS. And as I said, I would be privileged, if only to put in a little catalyst into that process, that already will be a, quite an accomplishment for me. Well, as a as a member of kind of the the I guess you could call the future the newer pulmonology fellows and the early career attendings, I appreciated a lot the focus you know that you want to put on uh, social media. I'm an active a member on social media myself. Uh, just recently, I've gotten into it and trying to use it as much as I can for learning and spreading information. Um, I know that you are a uh, you are on Twitter yourself as well. You're on social media. Um, just wanted to talk to you about, like, what have you learned using social media and how do you view its uh, importance? I think that there are three elements um, uh, that are important in social media uh, as we look at social media. One is spreading of knowledge and awareness, right? Uh, so that is uh, the obvious one. 
I think that the second one is um, engaging a community and uh, essentially uh, leading to uh, a sense of belonging um, ac across a discipline, across a, a level of interest, across a particular area that somebody is interested in, and uh, having a sense that you're not alone in this world. You're not the only crazy one who really thinks at 3 o'clock at night in a particular problem, but there are many others all over the world that do the same, and uh, and that that communication is really fosters creativity in, in to a certain extent. And the third one, which I think is less use, used, at least at the moment, at least for me, has been on how can we develop uh, the approaches or, or how can the social media foster collaboration and participation in research. And that is, it, it's been a little bit more passive and less proactive. And I'd like to see that evolve, particularly uh, with many of you that are avid users of social media and how you can use and leverage the existing current networks and, and social networks to uh, develop and, and instigate new research and, and make it happen uh, through, through that vehicle. And that to me will be uh, quite a bit of a, an exciting uh, development if we see that uh, gain traction within the society and, and, and the membership, particularly among uh, the young, uh, uh, the young uh, fellows or or young faculty uh, among among us. So you heard everybody. He's asking us to start using Twitter more for the research and to find some ways that we can uh, utilize that. I have quite a few of my colleagues uh, in other disciplines as well that have taken to Twitter for that specific purpose, trying to use that. Um, speaking of the kind of the younger generation of the fellows and everybody as well, do you have any specific advice for us that are like anyone like me that's just now getting involved uh, in the in the ATS? and um, any ways of how getting more involved or how you would have us to approach our membership in the ATS? First of all, um, I, th I think that I would like to, uh, first of all, give a, a little piece of a, not advice, but uh, career or lifelong advice, which is follow your passion. Um, I know that there's a lot of, uh, pressures on decision making about uh, what are, what is going to be your professional goals and what are you going to do uh, once you finish your fellowship and my you know it, to me I'm still excited um, many years later about getting new data and doing research but that's me there are other other of my colleagues who are very excited in you know in seeing a new patient that is unusual and all of us really rally behind and discuss it and it becomes really a lot of fun to solve a, uh, a mystery uh, or just the pleasure of engaging with, with, with people with, and so on. So follow your passion, whatever turns you on, whether it's teaching, whether it's uh, clinical work or whether it's research at any level, um, just follow your passion. and. Um, and really engage because the more you engage your passion into the process, the more reward you will get, but also the more impact you will have uh, across the way uh, through your, your career. So that's as a whole. The ATS um, continues to be probably one of the most open societies that I've ever known. It welcomed me with open arms many, many years ago when I joined, when I was a fellow myself, and uh, really 
through the support and the mentorship that I received through the years, I, I can o- only thank so many people that really got involved out of just the the fact that you're part of the same society. And so I think that today, more than ever, it's important for fellows and young young faculty and even students, if they want to to get engaged, to to become part of it, to be part of committees, and to volunteer, uh, there's always room for somebody else to join and to participate and to learn at the beginning and to see how things are done, and then to engage and to put together proposals and not to be shy. There's not there's so one piece of advice. The second piece of advice is follow your passion and don't be shy. Uh, just be assertive, tell that you want to be part of this, engage at whatever level of effort that you can, but engage. And uh, I think that at the end, you'll you'll collect the benefits of, of such an approach from the get-go. And there's nothing more rewarding in the society than to see uh, the young people involved in the committees, in the assemblies, in the in the meeting, in the, in the conferences. And uh, to me, that's the most rewarding aspect of it. And I think for many of us, uh, the old guard, if you want to call it that way, um, it is a sense that the society is here to stay and to succeed and that you guys are going to take it to the next level. And that that is very important. Well, I know I, I mentioned it before and I had the same kind of feeling when I was in uh, when I was out in San Francisco at the meeting this year that I'm really appreciative as a, you know, a a second year fellow now that there's such an emphasis from you and from the previous president as well just on the future uh, of the ATS. So I'd like to say thank you for that uh, in the first place and then thank you so much for uh, your time here with us today. Um, was there Were there any more topics that we hadn't discussed today that you wanted to uh, talk about here? There are, but we will resort to social media to engage many more people uh, <laughs> and follow, at least be consistent with all the things that we discussed. Now, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, my, uh, I'm always uh, open to email and to any communication. So if anybody who listens uh, wants to communicate and share ideas or thoughts or desires or aspirations, um, I would be delighted to to engage and to facilitate the process in, in any way I can. Thanks again. And thank you again as well, sir. I would just like to say thanks to everyone for listening to this first of hopefully many podcasts from the ATSP Assembly. And a special thanks to the ATSP Assembly and the PEDS Assembly Web Committee for allowing me to host this first podcast. If Anybody wants to be able to find me and Dr. Gazelle on uh, Twitter, since we were talking so much about it today during the podcast, you can find us both at our Twitter handles. Dr. Gazelle's handle is at sleepkid, and mine is at bc05. That's B as in Brandon, S as in Sam, E-A-Y-0-5. If you guys have any questions or any topics you like have discussed in future podcasts, you guys can reach out uh, to me on Twitter at that handle. Uh, and also, I'd like to say a special thanks to Dr. Chris Carroll and Dr. Ben Kopp for their guidance during the production of this first uh, podcast. <laughs> and just everybody have a nice day and keep breathing easy. Thank you.